Good morning. Stand up for just a second and shift some energy around. Lift your hands, just kind of replace a few things and fill up the space with a fresh openness and give a couple of high fives and then you can sit back down. Great singing, great music, great band, great church. Gina kept saying while I was sitting there that she wanted to come next Sunday. And she, we even want to come to the, to the meeting, the church. <laughs> you sound like you have so much going on here. Um, I hope you realize that there's a, this church has a certain atmosphere that is spiritual, sensual, sexual, social, the great combination of what all churches should be. There's a mystical ambiance that's here. I hope you don't take it for granted. I've been in, as you would imagine, thousands and thousands of churches all over the world for the last 45 years since I've been licensed in ministry. And I know a unique atmosphere in a unique place. The lyrics of the songs, the style, the, uh, the freedom, the, the boldness. What y'all doing? Oh, yeah, thank you. Let's give these girls a great big God bless you. They're singing this. Singing is extraordinary. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so happy to be sitting next to you. So you are so cool, man. Chapter three, love yourself madly. And this is in uh, Pastor Mark Anthony's book. I read this chapter and I'm going to talk a little bit uh, from this subject. Love, first of all, is one of the, the most caustic, self-centered and self-serving words in the English dialogue or dialect. It's a commotional, emotional, and devotional term. And anybody in here who loves knows its pathos. It's painful. It's gainful. It's precious. It's powerful. It's prophetic and pathetic. It causes some of the most drama and trauma that any human being experiences. We hear these wonderful little sweet stories about love. But even in the scriptures, um, in the, the Jew, Jewish, Jewish and Christian Bible, uh, love is expressed very pathologically. There's all these examples of people showing love, including God showing love, and in the Christian experience, the pain that's associated. Gene and I went last night to see Son of God, and it's a lovely, lovely movie. Of course, I've taught that story, known that story all my life, and the passion, which is the crucifixion, the asphyxiation on the cross, is the most hideous part of the story, and yet that is supposed to be the expression of love from God for humanity. When you look at its violence, you wonder why there's so much pain connected with it, and is that really the way God expresses itself? That's a religious formulation, a religious formula, and a religious form. And the older I get, the more detached I get from some of it. Love I love. Love I am. Love I do. Love is a trip. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, love is a trip. So you scared to say, oh, no, you want some little sweet ditty. You ain't going to get that today because um, that's why most people are so, so, so disappointed. But the chapter is love yourself madly. Don't be mad to love yourself, but love yourself madly. That is informally with extreme intensity. Do you love yourself? And I always ask this question everywhere I go. I'm going to ask you, to you, you today again. First of all, what do you believe about you? If, if, if you had time and we don't, to write down some of the things you believe, not just what you know, because we sometimes separate what we know and what we believe. What do you believe about you, and why do you believe it, that, about you? 
And how do those beliefs about you add to or subtract from the quality of how you experience life or how you experience you? Not how does your, what does your mother or father, your parents believe about you or your spouse or lover or partner believe about you or what your children or what your employee or employers believe, but what do you believe about you? How do you experience yourself? Because the way you experience yourself is the way you will express yourself and the way you will expose yourself. What do you believe about you? Where do those beliefs come from? What, what, conf- what um, uh, defines those beliefs? What confirms or affirms those beliefs? How do you experience you? I ask myself sometimes after a teaching, after reading a book, after seeing a movie, after having an encounter with my wife, regardless of how sweet or less sweet it is, if you had, a, if you had a, an argument about something or a disagreement, then when you go to sleep at night, what do you believe about you based on that conversation? Or you had a conversation with your parent or a sibling with whom you're not that close or with whom you're very close. Or when you come in from the office or from work, how do you as a believer, as a person who embraces expanded consciousness, again, we could do the whole talk just on let's talk about what you believe about you. Let's write some of them down. Tell me why you believe that. Where did the belief originate? And do you actually know that about yourself or do you just believe it? Because we believe a whole lot of stuff and know so little or remember so little. The only thing you really know is what you experience. It's not what I tell you. It's not what you read. It's what you experience. That you can be uh, solid about. You can be absolutely confirmed about. We're taught that that the, the sun is 93 million miles away. Most of us believe that. How many of you believe the sun is 93 million miles away? How many of you know it? Shut up. You don't know it. It's like, it's like, I don't know, that's what they told me. Did you measure it? No, you've been there. No, you ain't going there. But you believe it. Now, what if you heard in the CNN, in the news tonight, that they made an error and that the sun was actually 63 million miles away rather than 93 million? How many of you would go into therapy on that? <laughs> Got to have counseling and start changing your meds, you know. It wouldn't really make that much difference to you because you don't really know the difference. Oh, so it's 63. Oh, it was 130 million. Oh, you don't know and you don't care, but you believe it. The believe, the things you believe, you know, what you, what you think about, you bring about. What do you think most about yourself? Why do you think that? If we're going to talk about loving yourself madly, he, he, he quotes Byron Katie. It's not your job to like me. It's mine. Wow. It's not your job. Now, when, when you're in this position, you're the teacher or you're the leader or you're expo- ex- expanding yourself before a crowd or you're trying to convince them about something or persuade them about something. You could be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, a school teacher. You're in that position where you're supposed to be trying to encourage people to improve their lives, how they can get better rather than bitter. But when the mechanic's car breaks down, what does he do? He has to go to another mechanic. Dentists get cavities. Oncologists die of cancer. Cardiologists have heart attacks. What happens when preachers get messed up? (laughs) And we do. We go through our issues. Some of the hardest things to do is to 
to love ourselves after we think we didn't perform so well because we are very performance-oriented people in general. What your grades are, how you performed in school, how you look, how you dress, how you feel. You're always trying to imp- We spend our lives impersonating who we think people want us to be, and we don't get to know who we are because we're busy performing. And for what? You want somebody to like you. As much as I know my wife loves me, can't hardly keep her hands off of me. Uh, <laughs> there's just always this constant thing. Will she like me? We know she loves me. I do. But does she like me? And that really shouldn't be the question, but do I like me? If I like me and love me, she generally will. Jesus says, love the Lord. He quotes actually an Old Testament passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor, English word, nearby. That's where the term comes from. As you love yourself. What are the things and are people who are nearby you, close to you? How can I love Gina like I love me? If I don't really love me, when I went through my shift in consciousness and several thousand people walked away from our church in Tulsa, we ended up losing the property and the building and millions of dollars of, of uh, investments and my, my intellectual rights, all my books, my tapes, my videos, everything for a while. I almost lost myself, and that happened in a matter of seconds because I stopped saying that Christians were the only people that go to, to heaven. And uh, I stopped believing in a literal hell. I believe nobody goes to hell, but everybody goes through it. And I changed my appraisal of what I thought hell was. And then my, my church members, and there were several thousand of them, were so devoted to hell, and uh, they became so defensive of hell, till they, they took hell over me and gave, and gave me the leftovers of hell and the left finger of fellowship and walked away. Then you go from hero to zero overnight. And then you have to stop and think, okay, they don't like you anymore, so they say, or they don't love you, or they say, I love you, but. Instead of, I love you, but. I love you, but. <laughs> they change. So the question came to me, okay, so you have now perceived yourself as being on or less loved. They don't like you anymore. Let me ask you a question, Carlton Pearson. Do you love you? And I couldn't answer instantly. I couldn't answer immediately. I hadn't even thought about it. I was living off of their love for me. Thousands of them. We had sold albums and books and tapes and television, traveled all over the world, spoken to personally to, to hundreds of thousands of people in a single setting. All of a sudden, they're gone. Then I was confronted with, do I love me? And I had to reconsider if I did and what that meant. What do you mean, do I love me? I don't know. If they love me, I do. When they stop, I'm not. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Take all the titles away. My self-worth and self-doubt hung out together. He loves me. He loves me now. She loves me. She loves me now. I love me. I love me now. I love me. I love me. We go through this constantly. It has to do with self-worth, how you think. And, and it, t- it t- took me 50 years of my life, and I'm 62, to, to ask the question, what do you believe about you, and why do you believe that? Move the term reverend or bishop or apostle or evangelist or pastor or reverend away. Just you. Gina's husband, Julian and Majesty's father. Adam and Lily's son. 
Tanya Renee and Jangle, my brother, and, and Monica and Gail's brother. And so what? And now what? And what do you think about that? And how's that working for you? When you get there with all the performance ideologies and all the performance, who do you want? What, what do you like? To love yourself right now, Alan Cohen, just as you are, is to give yourself heaven. I'm quoting from Mark's book. And he says in an interview on the Oprah Winfrey show, Jane Fonda revealed that it wasn't until after she turned 60 that she realized one of life's most important secrets. She had to give up being perfect so that she could begin to experience herself as whole. How do you give up being perfect? That's a fantasy. How long do you stand in the mirror to get the the hair just right, the face just right, the clothes just right, everything perfect? Lifting stuff up, pushing stuff down, spreading it out, fixing it around. (laughs) How much time do we spend looking at ourselves and... You ever, been, you ever had a friend that the whole time you're with them, they're picking, they're just, they, they talk, they're brushing stuff off of you and fix it? My sweetheart does that a lot. When we're together, she'll make sure that I'm looking presentable before I come out and before I go out. I've had friends that way. I love my wife to do it, but if you have a friend that the whole time you're with them, they're picking you and fixing you and, and straightening you out and fixing you, you go, stop! Leave me to heaven alone. Heaven. <laughs> Let it go. But you'd be upset with that same person if they let you go out in public looking stupid. (laughs) So love sometimes comes at you in an awkward posture. Even the love you have for yourself, which tends to be critical, does it not? I love me. I want the the best for me. Or you want the best. You say to your... I remember some people used to say when they were going to get a spanking back when it was legal... (laughs) When I come up, you, you, you know, my, my, parent, my friend's parents would say, you know, you know this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> Not in my house. <laughs> that was white people talk. You know. <laughs> my, daddy, da- my daddy never said that because he knew it wasn't going to hurt him more than it was going to hurt me. <laughs> we were raised with a Bible and a belt. They couldn't preach the gospel, and they beat the devil out of us. It, it was very common in our community for people to get spankings and whippings and don't act like you don't know about them because you do. But it was illegal, and it's illegal in these days to do the, the raise the same way, raise kids the same way they raised us. But they were saying, this is going to hurt me. What hurts you more than it hurts somebody else you, that you love? Think about that. What, what, why is love so painful? Let me read something to you I have in one of my books because I'm uh, almost out of time, I think, out of time. What you want wants you. This is my favorite chapter in my book, God is Not a Christian. I have a few downstairs. What you want wants you because what you want is you. Say that. What I want wants me because what I want actually is me. When I say what I want is me, I'm saying I want to experience the best aspect of myself possible. I want to experience myself all day. When you leave here today, they will say, did you enjoy the service? Or did you enjoy the song? Or did you enjoy the sermon? And they might say, did you enjoy yourself? Some people only enjoy things externally, songs, sermons, services, conveniences. But do you enjoy yourself? When's the last time you enjoyed your essence, your being? 
enjoyed you. When you say you love somebody, you may have heard me say this before, you're saying you love the part of yourself that you experience when you're with somebody. My dad's 87, my mother's 84. I was with them last week in Tulsa. Mama's shrinking, daddy's shrinking. They're, they're so, they're just, I just love having them. Dad, we thought we were, might lose my dad last fall and around October and, and in November. Now he's back again. But when you walk in the house, you, they, live, they live in that same house over 30 years and it has a certain smell to it in the kitchen and the bedrooms and, you know, the grounds. It's just, and you hold, I push my, my dad's face against mine. He, my dad came into where I was and he just takes my hand. He just, just, son, I'm just so glad. He just wants to touch me. He's been that way all. He's very affectionate. He's the eldest of seven. My mother's the only child. I push her face against mine. I feel her skin. I hold her so tight. I relish every moment. And that's not just because I love her, but I love how I feel when I'm with her. I love how I experience myself when I hold my mom. And when she transitions and they will have a memorial service, we'll be sitting there, all of us crying, some of our little eyes out, not feeling sorry for mom, but feeling sorry for us. She'll be in the land of the living while we still are in the land of the dying. Funerals and memorial services are sort of like a sophisticated pity party. We're feeling sorry for ourselves. We're hurting. They're not hurting. And in my tradition, if you say, do you believe she's in heaven? Yes, I know she went straight to heaven. She went straight to God. Well, what you crying for? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. You do know you're crying because you feel sorry for yourself. You want to bring them back to pay some more rent and some more mortgage and to put up with you? Well, I said, if I could just have her just one more time for about five minutes, she wouldn't come back to you. A few minutes, what you need, baby. I, where, wherever we go, I'm there. What you need, I'm on a time schedule here. And so these things we wrestle with, I love me. Say this, I love me. And I love me a lot. The loneliest moment in your life is not when you lose friends, family, or things. You are loneliest when you are away from, unaware of, or missing part of yourself, your own soul. You are most lonely and depressed when you have lost your essence or forgotten who you are. Because of this, this is in, 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 in my book, God is not a Christian. Because of this or our spiritual amnesia, we have become transient souls, all but spiritual vagabonds, seeking our own self, our forgotten self, the one we somehow and somewhere mislaid or misplaced or in some cases replaced with the imposter. Eckhart Tolle says in his book, A New Earth, in the seeing of who you're not, the recognition of who you are emerges. In the seeing of who you're not, the recognition of who you are emerges. Wrap your arms around yourself like this. Who you hugging? Who you loving? Who you hanging with? <laughs> Say this, I love me some me. Big time. I accept me, and if you need to, I forgive me. I celebrate me. I embrace my own essence, that is your immortal, immeasurable, immediate, immutable self, evolving but not dissolving. Pat yourself like this, come on. Put, pat your face. I love you, little sweet face. Yeah, little puppy breath. Now shake the deadly energy off and make up your mind that today and from now on, 
you're going to experience and express and love yourself at a different level. Focus now, the next 24 hours, on you on what you like about you. Eternal God, our mother and father, we are grateful for the special access we feel we have to the otherness, to other dimensions, other ways and other floors and spaces and paces and places of consciousness. Thank you that we're getting to know ourselves again, all over again. Thank you for the renewal of faith. Thank you for the power of intercession and intervention, even interruption of things that block and obscure who we are and who we are becoming. We say yes to all that is, that it is what it is and it is what it isn't, and we embrace that reality with joy. Let thy will be done. The kingdom, the king's domain or dominion of consciousness in us, through us, to us, and as us. And we say yes to you in us and as us in the name and nature of the Christ. And so it is. Thank you, God. Right on. Give somebody a quick eye Bishop Carlton Pearson, everyone. There we go. Let's stay on our feet and lock this in just a little bit more, yes? I get joy, joy, thinking about what God's done for me. I get joy, joy, thinking about what God's done for me. It's in my hands and feet. I'm talking about what God's done for me. I get joy, joy, thinking about what God's done for me. Oh, how I wonder when my soul looks back. How I ever made it through my separating act I did everything that I thought I wanted Till it brought me down Then God reached out to me Now I'm here to tell you now